Special guest speaker, Rick, is uh, here with us. Rick Garcia, he and his wife, Sharon. Um, I've known you guys for, gosh, over almost 10 years, right? You know, serious, I knew you at Skyline briefly when I was over there, and I've been here five years, so let's go seven. But it feels like 10. All right. Um, And uh, Rick got his master's degree at Liberty University, and he has a real love for the Word of God and a heart to teach. And um, we had kind of lost contact with each other, and... um, uh, Sharon shared with me that Rick was going through um, cancer and uh, in his liver and his lungs and going through treatments and chemo and gamma radiation, you know, and, and uh, so it was intense. I went over to see him and learned about, you know, his pursuit of, of uh, the master's degree at Liberty and his love for the word. I always knew that. And I said, you know, why don't you come and teach on a Wednesday night when you're feeling better? And he was stoked and so was I. And He's feeling better, although you know he's gonna. He's got a stool in case he's tired, but I, I'm getting out of the way. Are you guys ready to hear Rick preach? Amen. Come on up, Rick. You got your the button on. You're locked and loaded. Can everybody hear me? All right. Wow. wow. Seriously. Um, hi. Yeah. Hair. I can't do it. Okay, there we go. Is that better? <laughs> Can you do this next time? Because you're the techno guy, not me. Yeah. Can you do something about these lights? Can you do seriously? Can you do something about these lights? I can't. I can't even see. feel like a Gary Trudeau comic or something. Lower, lower, yeah. Let's get a guy with a ladder to fix it. No, that's, that's fine. I'll, I'll muddle along. Okay. Welcome. Before I get going, I just want to say thanks to Rob. I want to thank everybody for showing up out here. I have lots of friends here I didn't expect. That's kind of uh, weird. I haven't been in a pulpit for quite a while. Um, As Rob said, I've been sick, and uh, I am still sick. And I wish, I wish, I wish that I was here to say I've been cured of cancer, and I'm totally cool because that would be like really great because we could just rave and party and play music really loud and stuff, but that isn't the case. And... uh, Although I'm like really heartbroken about that, I know that the Lord loves me. I know that the Lord has his hands upon me, and I know I've got people praying for me like, like crazy from one end of this country to the other, and probably people, you know, who knows, in Europe I don't even know or something, you know, because it's just that vast. And uh, if I could get you to stand for a second until uh, I read, read tonight's passage, and then we'll get going. Uh, I'm going to be teaching tonight out of uh, the Gospel of Luke uh, 22, 31 to 34, and it goes, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to the Lord Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows this day, you will deny me three times. Thanks. You can sit down. 
Now, typically, that's an Easter verse, a Resurrection Sunday verse, and uh, it's a little different. So what I'm going to talk to you about tonight is, in relationship to that verse, is cancer and my experience uh, over the last year, because that's how, that's how recently I was diagnosed. I've been through radiation, I've been through chemo, this is the most hair I've had in a year. Um, my feet hurt, <laughs> my hands hurt, my lungs hurt. I have lung cancer, which has metastasized to my liver. And uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the old uh, Saturday Night Live. I'd say age-wise, uh, a lot of you are. <laughs> Billy Crystal used to do a skit on there, and he would say, you look marvelous, Okay. You look marvelous. It was like everywhere, people wearing T-shirts and stuff. You look marvelous. You go to work. You look marvelous. Shut up, you know. I look marvelous. Anyway, for some reason, when I got sick with cancer, nobody ever said to me when I was non-cancer, or cancer-free, isn't that what they say? When I didn't have cancer, no one ever said, you look marvelous, but they say it a lot now. It's really, really strange. So I have to believe that the hand of the Lord is on me because people just, I mean, it's, it's, wow, for a guy with cancer, you look really good, you know? And it's like, it just kind of gets to me after a while. But I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk a little bit about those experiences. But mostly I want to talk about when I was first diagnosed and when I was in the hospital, the word that the Lord gave me. And what he gave me was that verse. And, (laughs) you know, it started out with jaundice. I turned a really pretty shade of yellow and... We thought, well, you know, I'm sick. I've I've got this jaundice thing. And some brilliant technician said, as long as, uh, you know, we're scanning it for jaundice because it's, you know, they did an ultrasound. They said, there's something going on with his liver. Some guy backed up the scan in a PT scan and said, wow, he's got problems in his lungs, big problems in his lungs. So jaundice turned to cancer. And my life changed. So did Sharon's life. Just uh, overnight. But what I want to tell you is that all of you here, if Jesus has called you according to his purposes, then the promise that he has for you as his bride is that he prays for you and he will never, never, ever let Satan get his hands on you. And this is what I thought. I laid there and, I, oh, man, the Lord's telling me I'm going to be sifted like wheat. And I'm, you know, that can't be good. <laughs> you know, that just can't be good. And, you know, I was like, well, Peter got through it, you know, but I wasn't in that state of mind at the time. I was just trying to figure out what was going on because everybody said, oh, you know, you have jaundice and now you have cancer and <laughs> you've got stage four cancer too, buddy. And it's like, what do you do? I just sort of... I didn't shut down, you know, it's just, it's a shock. It's a shock to the system and you just kind of sit there and take it all in. So as I was sitting there, because I was so sick, everything just poured and poured and poured on me. Um, I knew that my Lord wasn't like tearing me apart or anything like that. But at the same time, I got this verse. So before we go any further, I'd just like you to think about something just in the way of agreement. I'd like you to agree with me that God is good. God is good, yeah. 
And I don't mean God is good all the time. God is good. Okay, I don't mean that. I mean God is good. There is nothing bad about God. There is only good in God. God is total good. It just doesn't... There would be no good if there weren't God. It's just good. (laughs) And that's a good thing to me. And the second thing I'd like you to think about for a second is that the church, us, we are comprised of individuals. I know it sounds stupid, but we are. There's you and you and you and you and you, and we're all just, we're individuals. And we comprise a body. Paul says, you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. Well, just think about that. So I want to ask you real quick, how's your walk with God? Prior to my diagnosis, I thought my walk was pretty good. In fact, I thought my walk was probably better than most. Come on, you've thought it too. There's <laughs> a brother. You know, we, we're going along. Oh, yeah, I'm doing real good. I'm doing real good. You know, I did my best to walk by Micah 6.8, which is my life verse, to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with God. I live by that. And I've also done my best to only boast in the Lord. To only boast in the Lord. Early on, I had to shut parts of me down and just go through that whole thing and say, I will not boast in anything but Christ. Because I was that kind of a person before I was saved. I was cocky. And that's how I survived. (laughs) You know, that's how I got by. That was my thing. Just boast. Just, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. I was just relating a story to Rob upstairs about how I got my first job, my first real job. I lied and boasted my way into it. I just went, I bought a portfolio, I stuffed a bunch of stuff in it from different stores and real estate offices and stuff and said, I did this because I was an artist. I've always been a graphic artist. I've always drawn and stuff and I needed money. I needed to work and, you know, washing dishes and stuff anymore when I was real young. I wasn't going to cut it anymore. I needed some serious money. So that's what I did. And so I boasted. And I boasted about me and the things I could do and how I could get it done better than anybody else all my life. But I made up my mind I would not when I was saved. I guess you could say that as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I know my place. And I know what he's done for me. And I know what he's done for you. And like Peter... I also felt that I was ready to die for Jesus any time. Just give the word. I'll do it. The problem was, as I lay there in the hospital, and I was filled with all this regret and all this remorse and all this sorrow, but not because I was going to die, but because I felt like everything I'd been given to do when I was saved, and I was given a lot. I'm a pretty gifted guy. Not boasting. But the Lord blessed me. He really blessed me. And uh, so what was bumming me out in the hospital, seriously, was how I wasn't going to finish the things that he'd given me to do. And all I could hear going through my head was a rebuke of Matthew 25, you wicked servant, you lazy servant. That's all I could hear. And what really scared me was I had to fight to say, but Lord, Lord, didn't I? And the reason I had to fight was because the response to that is, I never knew you. 
And I mean, you know, I was scared. I was just shook up. And I realized, you know, people, there's people out there that are sicker than me, I guess. There's people out there going through worse things than I am. And I guess that's why I look marvelous. You know? I don't... It's beyond me. So I tried to put all this stuff together in my mind. Maybe I was just getting tired. Maybe I just wanted to quit. Maybe I quit already and I didn't even know. Maybe I was just dead. Maybe my faith was dead. Because I went through this period after seminary. If you haven't figured it out yet, I was saved a little later in life. I was saved at about age 46. Sold my house, went to Bible college, went to seminary. Not boasting. Did these things because that's what the Lord told me to do. And he said, when you finish these things, I've got some stuff for you to do. I know you're roaming around the streets and you're sharing my name with everybody, but you need to get some schooling, brother. You know. So I said, okay. That's what I will do. And I was in a position to do it. But I don't know, maybe I, I, I kind of felt like maybe I've hit that point. Was I there? Was I lukewarm? I don't believe a whole lot in, you know, like, oh, he's a lukewarm Christian. I just don't buy that. You're either alive in Christ or you, you're not in Christ. You're, you're something else. But I was thinking to myself, you know, maybe I was just getting lukewarm. And then I thought of the church in Ephesus. Jesus says, I know your works. You don't like evil. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you haven't grown weary, but you've abandoned what you loved at the first. So remember from where you have fallen and repent. Then I thought of Sardis, the next church he mentions. I know your works and you have this reputation for being alive, which I certainly did, but you're dead Wake up and strengthen what remains before it dies completely. Repent. <laughs> the church at oh, Laodicea, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm, and I'll spit you out of my mouth because of it. Repent. So, now I have to repent. But Lord, I've got cancer. I'm so sick. What am I to repent of? <laughs> this is how I felt. And then, to make it even worse, Satan starts talking to me, right? Curse God and die, he says. So we always kind of laugh at that verse because Job's wife is so incongruous to Job, and we just, it's just funny to us. We just go, yeah, curse God and die. You know, his wife must be a real piece of work, and then, you know. But here it was. And Satan says, just get over it. You're going to die soon anyway, and God did this to you. So then, as I thought some more, I thought, well, you know, I've done pretty well up to now. Satan's telling me to give it up. God's saying, be strong and courageous. Like, I'm still in this game. And then the Spirit says, it's not what you did, it's what you didn't do. And I said, well, yeah, we've just been over that. So instead of Lord, didn't I, God was saying, 
I gave you so much. Strengthen what remains. Your works are incomplete. It seemed that the very thing I was moaning about, the Lord was telling me, this is what I need to get back to. I thought, wow, how much grace is that? I mean, a minute ago. So I realized that sins of omission are just as deadly as sins of commission. And we're good at saying things like, I didn't break this command or I didn't break that one. But what about you You didn't do? And James says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, it's counted as sin to that person. Luke says, the servant who knows his master's will but doesn't do it deserves a severe beating. And he also says, to whom much was given, much will be required. So I'm still going to be rebuked. Discipline's in order. Maybe even a beating. But I'm thinking to myself, well, that's better than being spit out of God's mouth, right? (laughs) It's got to be better than being spit out of God's mouth. So I thought, do we only receive good stuff from God? Are we going to take the bad stuff too? I started thinking down that track. And then Jesus, all of a sudden, with just oozy, drippy, gooey compassion and love for me, says, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. And it wasn't scary at all. It was just like, it was like a promise, almost. You know, we think about, oh, you know, promises of God, and this was lining up like that for me. There was just this huge sense of blessing, and all I could do was sit there, or lay there, rather, and just receive it, just the way I'd received all this bad, bad stuff from the devil coming in, and all these different scriptures he was reminding me of, because I was going to get sifted apart and torn up. But it was just overwhelming. The blessings that I was receiving were just overwhelming. I didn't know much at that point, but I knew that God is good and that he does good, as it says in Psalm 119. Or Nahum declares that the Lord is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble. And I wondered to myself, how did I get here and how could this be happening to the guy with a better than average walk? And I still couldn't answer the question. So what do you do? And you have to ask yourself, like our Sunday school answer is enough. Can we just say, well, God is good and just leave it at that? The Lord loves me. Jesus loves me. God is love. I've been told all my life that the main things are the plain things. And after all, we're God's children and childlike faith is what got us to where we are. And if we hadn't been that way, I don't know, we maybe wouldn't have even come to the Lord. I mean, you may have gone through serious, serious circumstance to, before you finally broke down and said, oh, Jesus, 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 save my life. But at the same time, when you're down like that, you're just this whimpering little baby. And I don't care how much intellect you want to throw at it. I don't care if, you know, if you're just, however you, you want to rationalize it in your head, you're just a kid. You're just a baby. And somehow you're just saying, you know, Abba, please, please help me. So as I thought about this, 
I thought about, well, you know, this verse and everything, we associate it with bad stuff because, you know, Peter denies Jesus and then he runs out and some girl says, him, you know, and, and he freaks out and he runs far away. He's on the ground, you know. We've seen, like, all these movie v- versions come into your head. And, you know, he winds up broken and weeping. And it's just a, it's a bad scene. So the question is, do we need a deeper theological perspective or can we just say, Jesus is my daddy and he loves me and he's good and just leave it at that? So none of us can really fathom the conflict that rages out there in the spirit world. And we don't understand how determined Satan really is to get his hands on us. I mean, we think we do and we know it's bad, but everybody whose heart is fixed on Jesus is a target. And we're all just, you know, in these days, in these times. I mean, you just really have to be aware of that. But at some point in our walks, we determined in our hearts that we're going to go all the way with Jesus. And Satan becomes aware of that. He realizes you're a threat to darkness. So, afflictions, floods, trials, everything that's out there is going to come at you as a child of God and as people of faith. And maybe at one time you were half-hearted about following Jesus. Satan didn't really bother you much then. I know he didn't bother me before I came to know the Lord. We were buddies, you know, pretty much. I didn't know it, but... But once he finds out that you've given it up for Jesus, things start shaking And he wants to sift you, just like he told Peter. Just like Jesus told to Peter. So Jesus introduces this subject of how the enemy wants to sift people. And sifting means to be shaken and separated really hard. You know, I'm sure you've heard all this before. Back in the day, they used to shovel wheat into boxes and they'd shake it real hard through this wire mesh and these guys would put it in sacks. And what he's trying to do What Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to warn Peter and say, he thinks your faith is weak, and so he's going to do this number on you. He thinks that when he shakes you hard enough, you're just going to give it up. And this is weird because he's just told him, you know, you're going to be part of my kingdom. You're going to be a big part of my kingdom. He says, I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what he tells to the apostles. Now that word assign means to channel. So Christ has just made this incredible promise to these guys. He's basically saying, I'm going to build my kingdom through you just as the Father made a vessel of me for his glory, I'm going to do the same thing with you. And Peter couldn't know that while Jesus is making all these promises, Jesus is also praying for him because he knows what's coming. And Jesus can see into the spirit realm. He saw Satan at the Father's throne asking permission to get his hands on Peter. And Satan's saying, well, you know, Jesus says this guy Peter's a rock. But I say he's weak and he's chaff and I want to shake him. And I'm going to test him and his faith is going to fail. 
So Satan makes these demands of God, and he makes them to God because God's in control. God controls everything. Satan knew Peter was set apart to bear fruit, and he always goes after the tree with the most fruit-bearing potential. He knew that God was going to give Peter power and authority and that he would use him greatly in the kingdom. So not since the book of Job has Satan, at least in our Bible, has Satan gone before the Lord and asked for this. And he says, he's going to tear Job apart. And the Lord says, touch all that he has. But just don't, don't hurt him. And the devil says, fine, he's going he's gonna to curse you to your face. And when that doesn't happen, Job is left hurting, and he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. So blessed be the name of the Lord. But why did Satan want to sift Peter right then? Why did he want to sift him out just then? Why was he so anxious to test him? And it's because the church is going to come up, and Peter's going to be the catalyst of that at Pentecost. And so he really needs to get it together and needs to stop all this boasting and running around saying, I'm never going to hurt you, whipping out swords, slicing off ears later in gardens and stuff. I mean, you know, he's not an out-of-control guy. He's just, <laughs> he just thinks he has it together. And for three years, these guys have been, you know, going all through Judea, and they're casting out demons. They're healing people. Jesus is doing even more. They're eventually going to do even greater works than that. And Satan knows of this promise and that the Holy Spirit's coming. And so Satan's shaking in his boots. So I guess the question is, the next question is, what about you guys? Are you guys being shaken? Are you being tested? The Gospel of John tells us that there'll be tribulation in this world and that we will be tested, that we will all be tested. Again, it's another promise. You're going to be tested. You're going to be sifted. It's almost as if, if the testing if the testing is going to be profound enough, it's going to be the sifting, and that's a promise. They sort of go hand in hand. I know it's a really weird thing to think about, but that's kind of how I was thinking about it when I was sitting there trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life and if, if I'm going to have a life, and all this stuff was just flooding into me. But Satan is sifting us, brothers and sisters, because we're a threat and because we're important. And the more you surrender to the Lord Jesus, the greater your fruit-bearing potential for God's kingdom, and I think the greater your sifting is going to be when your time comes. That is not to say that everyone's going to get sifted, but, you know, trials come along and everybody seems to hit some point where you're kind of like me and saying, but didn't I? (laughs) I'm not trying to discourage anybody, you know, by saying that, but the fact of the matter is that Satan has a lot of power. And it's real and it's serious. Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. And Peter calls him the god of this world and the prince of the power of the air. He blinds non-believers and he holds them captive until the gospel breaks through. Until they finally hear. Until they're a puddle of tears on the floor. 
until they're sitting somewhere all by themselves. Till somebody taps them on the shoulder, till somebody shares the gospel with them, till they're laying on a hospital bed and it all just comes flooding in. But the devil, he can take life like he did with Job's children. He can ruin health as he did with Job's body. He can torment people with demons. He can provoke evil deeds and he can even cause natural disasters. And I think this should give a seriousness to our lives which non-believers do not have. Not to be paranoid, but to be more earnest in our praying and more conscious of how much we need Jesus. Because we do not fight in the flesh. And we hear it over and over again. We don't fight in the flesh. We don't fight in the flesh. We are on the spiritual realm. And we hear it so much, I think a lot of that stuff, just it's just desensitization. But we do not fight in the flesh because the flesh is weak. And if you're laying there with cancer and you're broken up and broken down, I mean, what is there? What are you going to do? So we sojourn in the world not only because our worldview differs from those who do not know God, but because our struggle is different from those who don't know Satan. Because you and I know what the devil is capable of. We definitely know. We've seen friends. It's happened in our lives. We've watched (laughs) the news. And we've seen all this stuff. And I've heard, I've heard so much junk. I was just telling Pastor Rob 45 minutes ago about chemotherapy And I was telling him how there was all these dead people sitting in these chairs. And, you know, they put IVs in you and (laughs) everybody's going to get pumped full of poison pretty much. And they sit there and they're feeling bad enough. I mean, this was my experience. These people are feeling bad enough. But now they've got CNN on, right? So I'm just like going, are you kidding me? And nobody's smiling, and I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm getting cured, man. I don't know about you people, but I'm not coming back here. I am not going to go through this, and you people need to be smiling. I mean, at the very least, you're here. Why? I mean, you're getting medicine. So at least buy into that. But they're not buying that either, you know? And they're sitting there watching this junk on the TV, so, you know, I'm trying to throw some comedy in there. I know I, know I sound pretty serious tonight, but I can be pretty funny when I want to. Anyway, I was kidding. I was, you know, I would be like, come on, you know, making jokes about Obama and stuff. That didn't go over well at all. <laughs> Not at all. But I mean, the, the, just the worldview is, was just so like this and you're, you know, I don't know what the natural disaster of the day was on there or the shooting and stuff. I think, yeah, I think it was like, uh, I don't know, it was a shooting somewhere and it wasn't, you know, 
I don't know, four people dead or something like that. It wasn't like one of these... It wasn't super terrible. It was just terrible. <laughs> you know? And these people are there, you know, oh, my God. And you're like, do you know him? And they're like, what? What's that little book you have in your hands? You know? Try to share the gospel and just listen to all this stuff. And it's been a while since I've walked around the, the streets, you know, just... I did that kind of evangelism when I first got saved because that's all I could do. I was saved. I was saved, man. Do you know? Do you know? I would just... I started taking buses and trains and stuff because they couldn't get away from me. <laughs> Seriously, I did. And I didn't, know, I didn't know anything. Somebody says, well, you need to be discipled. <laughs> okay. I'm a disciple? Yeah, you're a disciple. Do you know? I mean, and I was jumping up and down for Jesus, and they said, man, you're like 46 years old. That's embarrassing. (laughs) Not to Jesus. I said, what you're telling me just doesn't, it just conflicts with everything in my head. And this is from, you know, my brothers and sisters. And I mean, I, believe me, I wasn't that crazy. Like, an oh boy, oh boy, Jesus, you know. But I was pretty excited. I looked like a Cheshire cat most of the time. I just wore this grin. I've been saved. I've been washed clean. The blood of Jesus has washed over me. And I am forgiven of every lousy, stinking thing I've ever done. <laughs> So I'm sitting there with these people getting all this junk shoved into their systems and they want to die. And it's like, what are you doing here? And they're watching terrible things on TV, trying to figure out what's going to happen to them. And all I can think of is, you know, almost like, what's the point with you people and why would I open my mouth? And it was really sad that I felt like that. And who knows? I mean, you know, and maybe laying in that hospital bed there, being told I was going to be sifted, maybe, maybe that was a reason. Maybe that mindset in me was just getting so, you know, I'm called to, I'm called to share the gospel. I'm supposed to replicate myself. Anyway. Get back on track. Satan has to go to God first before any of us can be touched. And I think that's an important word because demonic forces, unreason, lawlessness, hatred, violence are getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So the word Satan demanded to have you, meaning Satan can't trouble you unless God allows it, maybe a little harsh, But at the same time, it's true, and Dad's not going to let anything happen to you. And Jesus is interceding for you. And you're children of light. The Bible calls you children of light. Child of God, whatever you want to call it, you're children of light, of a marvelous light. That's who we are. That's like our DNA, you know? That's what we do. We bring light into darkness. We don't sit around and watch it on CNN. 
So everybody agreed that God is good and that the church is comprised of individuals. So if God is good, why does he let Satan do any of this stuff? Why does he do this? And thinking about that, you come to the big question, why does God tolerate Satan at all? And we've all asked that question. And the reason, of course, is the bride. We are his bride and we are being refined. Revelation 22 and 3 tells us that when Christ returns, God is going to bind Satan for a thousand years so that he might not deceive the nations any longer and then he's going to set Satan loose again until God's final victory and then he'll be thrown into the lake of fire. Now God has the right and the power to put Satan out of commission and he'll exercise that authority at the proper time and I think it's just, it's odd to me that he's bound for a thousand years and then let him go again, you know, but there's still going to be some. There's still going to be some that say, oh, I'm not buying into that. I don't buy that at all. And I just can't believe that. So I have to work even harder to get the gospel out. But the scripture suggests an answer, and I hope it strengthens you, that God allows the sifting of saints because in the end it's good for the church and it brings God glory. God says in Isaiah, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And the New Testament is clear that God intends to refine the bride of Christ to perfection through affliction and trials. We must suffer with Christ if we are to be glorified with him. And Paul says, all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father, we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Christ in order that we may be glorified with him. So suffering in trials, they refine our faith both individually and corporately. Sorry. And that refining makes us rely on the Father even more and we become jealous for the grace of God. Because I know I did. As I said, I lay there in this drippy, gooey, who knows what it is, grace of God, just all over me, just a puddle of tears, just a mess. Thinking I'm going to die, not wanting to die, saying I ought to die. (laughs) And God just saying, no, you know, you're my kid. Nothing's going to happen to you. And whatever happens to you, I'm in charge of it. So why don't you just relax, enjoy the drippy gooey, right? And just, you know, know that you're blessed. And I know that's almost always easier said than done. 
And you wonder where the Cheshire Cat grin went. And why you're not making a fool of yourself for Jesus. Why your walk is better than most. And rationalizing how, you know, what I did, I did, I did. And realizing, you know, the stuff you're covered in is your own tears. That drippy, gooey stuff you feel all over you is somehow being reworked and collected and just poured back over you. And it's just washing you again and again. And it never stops from the time you say, yes, Lord, to the time he takes you home. He's just constantly, constantly, constantly working over you. He's praying over you. He's dancing over you. He delights over you. It's just a blessing. Where I stand right now is just so blessed. A year ago, like I said, a year ago, I'm fine. Then they tell me, hey, you know, it's not good. And, you know, you kind of go, I don't want to know how bad it is. It sounds bad enough. But to stand here tonight, have some guy come over to your house and say, hey, you want to come to my church? You want to preach? What? You know? Only in the body of Christ. <laughs> I'm mean, seriously, only in the body of Christ. How many guys are just going to say, oh, you know, I know you're sick and dying probably, but, you know, come on up, man. It's going to be great, you know. I mean, and I don't mean that to be a downer, but only in the body of Christ. And we're all, you know, we're all pointing fingers all the time at the body of Christ. We do. My walk is better. Did you see? You know what I heard? It's terrible. And not to go off on, you know, some kind of weird path and stuff. I, I can do that real easy. But, you know, the world, the CNN view is looking in at us and they're just waiting for us to screw up. And we're always pointing fingers at one another. And we're brothers and sisters. And I know, you know, like, it's a Sunday school thing, you know. I know we get sick and tired of hearing it. We're brothers and sisters, or love one another, turn the other cheek, this and that and the other, hurts build up, things happen over time. But if, if not us, then Who? Who sets the example? Jesus sets the example, and we're Jesus' followers, heirs to rule and reign. And it's like, you know, well, I'm going to rule and reign, so it's okay. You know, as long as I get there, it'll be okay. But, you know, you have to finish well. So I think God gives Satan this illusion that he's winning the game, that, you know, you can have CNN for a while, you can do all that stuff. And he does it to expose his arrogance and his hatred. But God knows when the end should come, and God allows the enemy to rage so that sin can be seen for what it is. And when the time comes, God will destroy 
Satan in such a way that no one, absolutely no one will doubt the wisdom, the glory, the honor, and the power of God. And Jesus will present his unblemished bride to the Father. And what a day that's going to be. And I get to be there. And I hope I'm grinning long before then, you know. But I know I'm going to be smiling big then. So Satan wants to sift you. And Peter wasn't aware of any weaknesses in himself, just like I wasn't, because I had this better walk. And he said, Lord, I'm ready to go all the way with you. But if somebody told me, especially Jesus, this guy, you know, who spits in mud and puts it on people's faces and, you know, all these things happen. If somebody told me, man, the devil's coming after you and he's just going to put you in a sieve and shake you out. I mean, most of us would probably be pretty scared. Most of us would probably go, what are you talking about? But instead, Peter, you know, he's not shaking at all. The Lord's trying to wake him up, tell him he's going to be in serious serious trouble, and then in a few hours, he's going to commit some serious sin. But Peter just keeps on boasting. And maybe some of you are like that right now. Maybe not really boastful. I know I wasn't boastful. But believing yourself just so solid for the sake of Jesus, that maybe just a little there's pride coming in there. And ultimately, the things we do, I think wind up, you can call all kinds of sin, all kinds of sin. But I think ultimately those are the issues, the sin of pride, which comes to betrayal. Sin begets betrayal. Or sorry, pride begets betrayal. Satan says, on this prideful thing, worship me. He betrays the trust that was given him by God. So he's cast out. But amongst ourselves, I don't know, maybe it's we unknowingly do this stuff. There are sins, you know, that like I said, we commit them. And then there's sins of omission. But I think a lot of stuff just sort of piles up inside us and around us. And we're not sure even where it comes from. But I think in my case, maybe that's what happened to me. I wasn't being arrogant. I know I wasn't being arrogant. But maybe that's what happened to me. So Peter is an example of how God... Drives out spiritual pride. So if you love God with all your heart, then Satan wants to sift you. But Jesus prays for those that he calls his own, and he'll never let Satan destroy your faith. Jesus needed to purge three years of Peter's boasting out of him, and he needed to do it fast. His warnings hadn't done anything. Peter was still going crazy. But in 24 hours or so, he wound up cursing and denying Jesus. And Peter never would have thought that possible. I never would have thought that I would have had cancer and that I would have been laying in a bed somewhere. I'm not sure how the two go together, but this is how it came down to me. And Jesus is our example of how to treat those who are falling and going through sifting. The Lord warned Peter of the trial that was coming. And he said, Satan's going to attack all of you. And that Greek word, you, at that point is plural. He's saying all of the apostles, they're all going to be attacked. 
He said, but I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And that verb changes from a plural one to a singular one. That word, rather. And I think that's just amazing. It's just so much love for that man. The creator of the universe. By whom, to whom, for through whom. For whom all things are going and were made is praying for him, and he's praying for you. Even though he knows the guy's going to mess up, he's praying that way for him. And I just, how good is that? How good is the Lord? How sweet. The scripture says that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God since he always lives to make intercession for them. And that them is you. Jesus always prays for you, always. That's what he lives for, according to the scripture. So even after experiencing Christ's love during the trials that I've been through, I've come to realize that I don't know a whole lot about loving people that are falling. Not fallen. I can love the fallen. I can love people on the street. I can love people that come into church that say, I'm broken down, you know, I know they're sinners. I can love on those people, big time. But when you see somebody falling, what our tendency is to accuse and point fingers and say, you should, and you're like, and, you know. And I'm not saying, you know, they don't deserve some of that. But at the same time, it's the love of Christ that lives in us that we're supposed to Put it out there for them. What's the word? You don't hear it much anymore. Winsome. We're supposed to be winsome. We're supposed to be a fragrance and an aroma of peace and love to these people. So, Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He sees the good and the bad in all of us. And he says, Satan desires you, but I love you. Satan aims to sift Peter and the others like wheat, but Jesus aims to keep Simon's faith from falling. Satan wants to shake the church, individually and corporately, so hard that the bride will be torn and weak and desperate and she'll lose her faith and she'll curse God and die. That was Satan's goal back in the Garden of Eden, and it remains Satan's goal today. He doesn't care if you're healthy. He doesn't care if you're sick. He doesn't care if you're poor, rich. If he can get to you through sickness, he will. If he can get to you through money, he will. If he can get to you through vanity, he will. If he can get to you through toys, media, fear, power, lust, whatever he can use, he's going to use it against you. But Jesus knows that you love him. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what lies ahead, Jesus is always praying for you. But how far Peter had fallen. He went from this big boasting guy when his sifting came to a public denial of Jesus. One accusation from a young girl. 
had frightened him into swearing that he had and wanted no part of the Lord. And that's just about as bad as it gets. It's just like this much above betrayal. We might even call it betrayal. We call it denial. But how often do we cave in? Like for even lesser things. Some unbeliever speaks up correctly about the church, criticizes Jesus, and we just ignore it. Or we jump into the conversation because we just want to get along. We don't really say much of anything. We all do stuff like that. Because we wouldn't want to offend anybody, would we? Because it's all about everything being all good. It's sad. It's not all good. It's just sad. There's just one more thing I just want to say. Jesus tells Peter, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And I don't want to lay a burden on you. I really want to try to increase your joy. And at this point, if you're not, you should be saying, what happened to the other ten guys? Because Judas killed himself. Satan was going to sift these guys too. So did Jesus pray for them? Yeah, he did. But I uh, I don't think he prayed to the Father to guard them the same way. Not in the very same way. God broke Peter. He broke his pride and his self-reliance. He sifted him, but he didn't let him go. He turned him, he forgave him, he restored him, he strengthened him, and now it was Peter's mission to do the same thing to the other guys in his crew. So I think the lesson for us here is that sometimes God will deal with us directly, strengthening our faith, early hours of the morning sometimes. But most of the time, God uses other people. He brings somebody along, some kind of a Peter, who just brings a word of grace, just to help us keep the faith, just enough, something to keep us hanging on. Some testimony about his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. And weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So whenever God encourages your heart, with the promise that in Satan's sifting, your faith will not fail. Take that encouragement and use it to strengthen your brothers and sisters. The joy of the promises of God are increased, I think, when we allow them to kind of spill over and bubble out and ooze all over everybody like some drippy, gooey thing. So I think, I don't know, did I need to be sifted? Apparently so. (laughs) Why? I couldn't tell you. I Honestly, I can't tell you. It's not for me to know at this point. For all I know, well, that's not true. I was going to say for all I know, I'm still being sifted, but I'm not. I think sifting is a kind of rapid thing. It just, boom. It just comes. The tragedy, the pain, the hurt, the sorrow, the breakup, whatever it is, it just happens. And then you have to somehow... Find a way to hang on to that. 
there's trials in this world, and some of them are lengthy, but I think sifting is just a real quick sort of a process. It doesn't go on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> I don't know who could stand in that because it's intense when it comes. So I asked a question earlier about Sunday school answers. Are they enough? And, I, you know, I don't know. I've been through the seminaries and, you know, I've met some pretty heady guys. Sometimes I'm a little too heady. Sometimes I'm a little too papery and noty, you know. But I think at times Sunday school answers, they are really sufficient. And Jesus loves me, this I know, for my trials tell me so. And I know because he shows his goodness and mercy to all of us as a caring father. He says, those whom I love, I will reprove and I will discipline. He allows us to be sifted for the refining of the church. And he shows his love for all of us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that, that to me is just amazing. And I don't have to tell you all how amazing it is. It's, it's like this story here about Peter. It's heartbreaking, but at the same time, it turns out all good, and it's a good thing. The Lord loves us. I'm sure he loves me, and I love you. So Maranatha. So uh, let me pray for us, and we'll wrap this up. Lord Jesus, I thank you once again for the body of Christ. I thank you for blessing me and blessing all of us when we did not deserve it, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for holding us together. You are glorious beyond what we can conceive And we can't wait to be with you. And we bless you in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Good job, Rick. Thank you, pal. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Now I'm going to sing a song a cappella and sing. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You guys are going to go home. That's what you're going to do because you don't want to hear me sing. Um, It's awful. It really is. It's awful prove it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Amen. Uh, don't forget, tomorrow night, Thursday, uh, we're, they're going through uh, creation science, and it's going to be in Sweet 16. And then um, we also have the Sunshiners, and that's tomorrow, right? Or no, next week. Next week. Sunshiners is next week, and uh, Dr. Bob's going to be teaching that. So I think that's it. Anybody else have any, any questions that we can answer tonight? Anything like that? Very encouraging, he said, Rick. Amen. Good word. Thanks, buddy. All right. Yeah? Yeah? Come on up. Come here. I know you've been standing the whole time, but join with me. We're going to pray for healing for Rick. Uh, elders, come on up, if there's any in here. They don't, usually don't come on Wednesday. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. It's prayer meetings you don't come to. Uh, no, I'm just kidding there, too. I'm just kidding. He does, but... Uh, yeah, Father, we come before your throne of grace in accordance with your word. 
If there's any sick in the body of Christ, we call for the elders, anointing their head with oil, praying a prayer of faith. And so, Lord, we do that with Rick right now. And our hands are upon him. And, Lord, this idea of the oil is nothing magical. It's just a representation of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, you are the great physician. You're not a practicing physician. You're the great physician. Uh, all these men and women are practicing their medicine on Rick. But, Lord, just take care of it. Speak the word, and it's a done deal. And, and Lord, we rejoice in what you've shown Rick through this process. But we do ask, Lord, as your children, we ask that you would heal our brother completely. From the crown of his head to the sole of his feet, I pray you'd remove this cancer and bless our brother in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Have a wonderful, wonderful week in the Lord.